Thank you all for having me uh, here this morning with you. Uh, The title of the sermon this morning is Unknowable Love Made Known. It's a sermon about uh, a lot of impossible things, and I thought that I would be in a good position to talk about that because um, Josh gave me the honor of preaching through a chapter and a half of some of the most dense, uh, theologically rich uh, portions in the entire Bible, uh, and told me to pull it off in a cool 22 minutes, Uh, so I thought I'd be in a good place to talk about impossible things this morning. But uh, I also like to think about impossible things um, in part because of a phrase that I heard uh, a Christian philosopher use a couple years ago. A guy named John Caputo was talking at a conference, and he defined God's grace as the impossible that makes the impossible possible. And he gave an illustration of a priest that he knew. Um, Caputo is Catholic, and he was talking about this priest who is ministering to hardened uh, young boys in an inner-city context, um, schooling them, uh, caring for them afterward in a rough inner-city, gang-infested sort of context. And he said, you know, celibacy is impossible. But for this man, it is the impossible grace that allows this impossible work of pouring his life into these children possible. A living illustration of what the grace and love of God looks like when the impossible invades this world and comes into an impossible situation, a place where there can be no life, a place where there can be no reconciliation, and yet life and reconciliation begin to spring forth from the ground. This is the kind of love that we read about in Ephesians chapter 2. And I want to start by reading um, the first, uh, about six verses here, verses 11 through 16. Remember uh, that you once Gentiles by physical descent, you who are called uncircumcised by Jews who are physically circumcised, at that time you were without Christ. You were aliens rather than citizens of Israel strangers to the covenants of God's promise. In this world, you had no hope and no God. But now, thanks to Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Christ is our peace. He made both Jews and Gentiles into one group. With his body, he broke down the barrier of hatred that divided us. He canceled the detailed rules of the law so that he could create one new person out of two groups, making peace. He reconciled them both as one body to God by the cross, which ended the hostility. There are two things uh, that are going on in this passage, and they're going on simultaneously. One of them is the story of Jesus Christ coming and reconciling humanity to God. And at the same time, in this reconciling of us to God, he is creating in himself an entirely new humanity, an entirely new people. So that this gospel story that Paul is telling us is simultaneously a story of impossible love between God and humanity and a story of impossible love among people who for generations and generations had been separate and alienated and harbored hatred toward each other. This is a story where God is invading the world in Jesus Christ, not only to draw us to himself, but also to draw us to one another. 
And this is why it is important for us to take hold of and remember what it is that God has done for us. To, to hear what Paul has already said in Ephesians, that this coming of Jesus Christ to wrap us up into the family of God, it is nothing less than making life out of death. When you were dead in your transgressions and sin, he tells us earlier in this chapter, God made you alive together with Christ. You see, there's, there's a danger in underplaying our need for God. Uh, danger in underplaying not just our need for God, but the need for God to come to us and transform us in order for us to be the kind of people who can be in relationship with God. Not only then do we start downplaying the work of Christ and everything that God had to do in him to make us new people, but then we also start to downplay what it's going to take for us to be the faithful people of God. You see, it's not just that we were sick, but that we were dead. And so what this means is, in order for us to be the kind of people who can faithfully love God, who can faithfully serve God, who can faithfully bear the image of God into this world as God created us to do, God has to come and do the impossible. It is impossible for us to show the world the truth of God. It's impossible for us to show the world the love of God. And I want to hang on to that word impossible so that we don't think that all we have to do is go out and do what we would already be doing and Christ will come along and carry it and we'll be all right. Yes, we need to do good things, but God needs to transform us from the inside out. And, and the way that Paul is, is weaving these two things together, he's like, look, Christ came and reconciled us. There was this hostility between us and God. And you need to remember, you were Gentiles. I assume that most of us are Gentiles now. So, you know, it's kind of old hat for us to be part of the people of God. But this passage is a reminder to us that when Jesus came, this is the situation. They were the Jewish people. There were the Jewish people that God had called to himself and set apart, and he had given them the law and marked them out by the law. And the whole purpose of the law is so that all the nations would look at them and go, wow, what wise and understanding people is there in the whole world that has this kind of law that your God gave you? God had set them apart to be the light to the world. And then this message of Jesus Christ comes. And all of a sudden, Paul's saying, you know what? You don't have to come and stand in this space marked out by the law. You don't have to come here because the sweep of the embrace of God's arms when he comes to enfold humanity to himself in Jesus Christ reaches in and it sweeps up the Jewish people. And it reaches out and it sweeps up the Gentile people. And in that sweep, he breaks down all the walls that separated us from each other so that in himself there is an act of new creation with a new humanity standing as one before God. I want us to see, I want us to see the power of that transforming work because we live in a world that continues to define itself by divisions. Right? We are in the middle of an election cycle uh, in our country. And so day by day, we are confronted on the television, on the internet, and newspapers, if you still read newspapers, uh, with the reality that our country is trying to define itself in two camps. 
and they want us, and we fall into the trap of defining ourselves for one against the other. Most of us, like, we know who we're going to vote for more or less, and so, you know, our persons can thing comes on, we're like, oh yeah, this is great, he's doing all these great things. And the second that we know that the other guy's ad is on TV, you know, we start the, oh, here we go again. Oh, here comes, you know, trying to spin this. Oh, I can't believe that anybody can listen to these people. And we're buying into, we're buying into a division in the world, and we're allowing that to get into our hearts and shape our identities. So that when we listen to the political rhetoric, we don't stand apart and say, whoa, you know, my identity isn't Republican and it's not Democrat, but it's one who has been made new in Jesus Christ. And friends, the reason why this is so important, first of all, is we need to always be aware that for any political party, all that we are is votes to empower them. And we need to remember that our story as a Christian people is the story of a God who is bringing all into one and creating an entirely different humanity based on an entirely different way of thinking about power. It is power that is gained not by getting the most votes and not by ascending to highest office, but it's power that was gained, in fact, when the people in high office slaughtered this man who claimed that he was the one who came to speak for God. We always need to be careful when we start thinking that our politics are something that we hold because of our religious views. And I would put out for your consideration uh, a thought that's only three days old. But, um, but think about this over the next few weeks. You know, as I've been thinking about things where I like what this group does, this politician, but I don't like that other thing. I like this and that one. I've basically been thinking that though there is wisdom in prayerfully voting, that yet there is probably no vote that does not require some measure of forgiveness. That for whoever we vote for, there are going to be things that they're doing and ways that they use power and ways that they are failing to bring about the reign of God on earth. And part of why I want us to see this is that too often in the church, we do not allow the fact that we have a new identity forged for us in Jesus Christ to allow us to become a people who overcome the dichotomy and the choices that the world hands to us. In the first century, Paul says, look, in Christ, there's no longer Jew and Greek, slave and free, male and female. And we need to stir up within ourselves uh, the reality that in Christ Jesus, there's no longer Republican and Democrat or Cal Bear or Stanford Cardinal or uh, whatever it is that runs deep around here. I'm, I'm reaching. For me, I'm from North Carolina. It's, it's Tar Heels versus Blue Devils, but that probably doesn't play here. So, uh, but there are ways that the world is handing us these sorts of decision um, dichotomies. And the problem is that the, the, the whole practice of defining ourselves as us over against them is deeply part of how we make sense of the world. And what God is trying to get us to see in Jesus Christ is this, that he has made us into a new humanity in Christ so that as God's people, we can no longer say within this body, there is us and there is them. In the first century, Paul is saying to these Jewish people, Despite the fact that God himself gave you that law, 
that law is no longer allowed to define you as better than those other Gentile people. And I don't think that we in the 21st century have anything that's nearly as firm ground to stand on as what the first century Jewish people had when they could say, God gave us this law. This is what makes us holy. This is what's going to define us as us over against them, those Gentiles. And God comes in Jesus Christ and says, no. You see, this great reconciling work that God does of coming to a people who were far distant, people who were not either ignorant or were hostile, actively showing hatred toward this God. God says, I'm not going to allow that hatred or ignorance of me to be the last word. I'm going to pursue you in love all the way to the cross. Therefore, in your life together, as those who have been wrapped up into my Son... Don't you allow ignorance or hatred or distance of another human being to be the final word. You pursue them with that same relentless pursuit and love with which I pursued you. And this is why later in this letter, he can give the instruction, be imitators of God as God's beloved children and walk in love just as Christ loved you and gave himself up. For us. To be an imitator of God is to imitate the love that finds its way all the way to the cross, that will not accept alienation or hostility, but instead will relentlessly pursue unity together. I had a chance to hear uh, Richard Rohr, uh, spiritual director, uh, speak at a conference a couple months ago. And he gave one piece of advice about. going out into the world, and it was simply this. Still yourself in the presence of God until you are ready to go out in the world not being against, but until you're ready to go out in the world being for. Till you're ready to go out in the world being for Jesus Christ. Being for the unity of the people of God. You see, we're supposed to be a different kind of people together. When you come into the church space, especially, don't come here knowing and harboring in your heart the people who you're against or the agendas that you're against. Come in here knowing that together we are for Jesus Christ. As the people of God, we have as much trouble with this as anyone. And that's where we have to come face to face with the fact that this kind of love that we are being asked to enact is, in fact, impossible. And I don't want to just say it's hard, because if it's hard, then we can work harder and do it. But I actually think that once we recognize that this kind of thing is impossible, that is the opportunity that we give for God's grace in Jesus Christ to come and make itself known. We know that these kinds of things are impossible, right? You guys are Presbyterian. Um, I know that as Presbyterians, the idea of living out unity has been impossible. The church right now is having all these struggles with um, questions of sexuality. And people who are on each side saying to be faithful to the gospel means to do this thing, which is the opposite of what the people on the other side are saying. To be faithful to the gospel means this other thing. And we're at a point where Loving each other in the unity that is ours in Jesus Christ is impossible. Might this be the place where God might show us 
that he is, in fact, the God who gives life to the dead. We've been in those places with relationships that are so broken that we know that reconciliation is impossible. Some of us have even been in that place with our relationship with God, where we've experienced God, maybe we've known the joy and the love, and then we go through the season, and it's dry, and it seems like, you know, that I would ever experience God in that same way again is impossible. But the story of the gospel is that to a people for whom it was impossible to know the love of God, God came and made his love known. He invites us in and makes us people who experience that by his spirit. Let me read a little bit more. He came and he announced good news of peace to you who are far away from God and to those who are near. We both have access to the Father through Christ By one spirit. So you are no longer strangers and aliens. Rather you are fellow citizens with God's people. You belong to God's household. As his household you're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. With Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. And the whole building is joined together in him. And it grows up into a temple that's dedicated to the Lord. Christ is building you into a place where God lives through the spirit. I just want to say one thing about this paragraph, and that is that this is not simply a story of what God is up to in the world, but by the Spirit of God, it's a story that comes to each of us and transforms us so that we become the, spirit, uh, the children of God in a fresh way. God invites us into his presence, into his household to be his children, and then the metaphor shifts, and all of a sudden, not only is it that we come into God's presence, but that God comes into us. By his spirit. You see, this whole thing is about being, giving people a new life, a new way of living, so that this impossible love grows and wells up and overflows within us. Uh, an impossible vision for a people to be the very dwelling place of God. And I think it's in the light of this impossibility that Paul prays. Verse 14 of chapter 3. This is why I kneel before the Father... Every ethnic group in heaven or on earth is recognized by him. I ask that he will strengthen you in your inner selves from the riches of his glory through the Spirit. I ask that Christ will live in your hearts through faith. As a result of having strong roots in love, I ask that you'll have the power to grasp love's width and length, height and depth together with all believers I ask that you'll know the love of Christ that's beyond knowledge so that you will be filled up entirely with the fullness of God. As Christians, we tell a great story. A great story about new creation starting to to dawn here in the midst of the old. We tell a great story about a God who has reconciled us to himself. We tell a great story about the God who so loved the world that he gave his son. And where this passage turns is to try to clarify in the eyes of each one of us that we haven't really heard and we haven't really taken hold of the story until we can not only say God so loved the world that he gave his son or Christ so loved the world that he gave himself, but until we can say with the Apostle Paul as he does in Galatians, the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. 
This is Paul's prayers for the Ephesians, that the eyes of their hearts would be enlightened so that they might know by the Spirit of God the fullness of glory that God is giving to each and every one of them, that he's giving to you, the the love of God that he wants to pour out on you, that he wants to pour out on you, that in Jesus Christ he's made known to the world and into which he is wrapping you up by his Spirit. This is the fullness of the blessing, the fullness of the glory of God and God wants you to taste it now to know that he is good he wants you to be strong in love because you see we can never go out into the world and be agents of the transforming love of God until we know in ourselves that we are beloved people It's only when we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we are loved, that we can enter into relationships that are broken beyond repair, that we can enter into situations of poverty and lack, that we can enter into situations and admit that we've been wrong and speak words of grace and forgiveness. You see, until I know that I'm loved, I can never get over and let go of the fact that I've right. Because that rightness, that being right in that argument is who I am. It's what I've done. But if I know that I'm loved no matter what, I can say, I'm wrong. Will you please forgive me? And I know that I'm not losing myself, but I'm finding the self that God has made me because he, his act of loving me is an act of forgiveness and reconciliation and restoration with him. It's only when we know that we are loved that we can move out as the agents of God, showing God's love to the world. And so he prays, I ask that you will know the height of God's love, a love that extends into the heavens and draws you up into the very house of God. I pray that you will know the depth of God's love, reaching down not only into the earth, but into the unknowable depths of your heart, where you feel most unlovable, where you feel most shamed, where you feel most proud of everything you've done, into the depths of your heart and all the tenderness and love and compassion that you need. That's how deep the love of God is. The width of God's love, those, the width of God's love expressed in the extended arms of Christ, sweeping up you as it sweeps up people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. And the length of God's love that endures. It endures over time. It endures through our successes. It endures through our failures. It it extends through our glory. It extends through our shame. This is an impossible love. The unknowable love of God in Christ that Paul prays we will be filled with so that we can be filled to all the fullness of God. And as if it was too small a thing to pray that unknowable love would be known, Paul moves into a doxology at the end where he blesses God, glory to God, who is able to do far beyond all that we could ask or imagine by his power at work within us. As if it were too small a thing to say this love that is made known is something we could never know, Paul says, you know what, we could think about that, we could imagine that, and God can do more. You see, the the beauty of recognizing that there are places where 
it's impossible for love to come and bear fruit, is that that is precisely the point where the God who can do more than we could ever ask or imagine could make his name in glory known. So, wrapped up into this story, into this story of love, is how we are sent out into the world, sent out into the places of hunger and death and desolation, sent out into the world where there are the little things, the mundane things of relationships in our house in which we are estranged from people. And we are sent out with command to love. Love as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, being imitators of God in this act of love. And I want to suggest that it's as we do this, as knowing that we are loved in this way, we reach out with the overflow of that love to the world around us, recognizing that God delights in making the impossible possible. That this is how not only Paul comes to say glory to God, but this is how Christ's vision for the church is fulfilled that our light would so shine before people that they would see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. With those works, we are recognized as the children of this particular Father, imitating him in his self-giving love for the world. Amen.